so good morning. I, I'm just so impressed that you're here. I can't tell you. I was looking around this morning going, Abingdon, Hughes, Whitton, Vista, near Aylesbury. Couple just up the road. It's fine. I suspect you all walked, didn't you, and skied, cycled. I'm just so impressed that we're all here. It's made my day. However, in honour of the snow, I'd like my first slide up, please. Here we go. Weather warning. Southerners are urged not to travel unless absolutely necessary. Northerners, you'll need your big coat. <laughs> I thought that's lovely. Rob was here. I think he'd appreciate that. You're an all the... Oh, Hayley. Yeah, and she's in a big coat. Well done. Excellent. And all the Southerners didn't travel this morning. Is that right? Do you think that's true? Okay, the next one. <laughs> it's getting beyond a joke. There's two feet of snow outside. And for the purposes of the recording, there's a picture of two large snow feet. I thought that was awesome. So I'm glad it didn't all clear, or that none of that would have been relevant. So a couple of little um, snippets here. What is an ig? Anyone? What is an ig? It's a snow house without a leaf. No, you're not allowed to groan. Doesn't sound good on the tape. Why did Frosty the Snowman want a divorce? Because he thought his wife was a flake. It took a bit of time. This one, it took me ages to get. I'm going to, we all probably more intelligent than me. What do you get from sitting on the snow too long? Polaroids. <laughs> you see, you've got that one. Well done. So I'll probably edit all that out when I get the file, but I could start. Good morning. I'm going to start today where Andrew finished. Um, so if you weren't here, his talk is available on SoundCloud or from the website. So his conclusion from last week, I'm going to read out, Acts of God 5, Holy Spirit. So Andrew finished his talk uh, last week with this. The encouragement from the book of Acts is that God uses ordinary people, and that's us, with lots of different kinds of gifts in different kinds of ways to bring about the expansion of the church. A few of us are called to preach evangelically, evangelicalistically, that's a very long word. All of us can do power evangelism. Some are skilled or can grow in apologetics. All of us have a mix of individual witness, storytelling, invitation, and serving. If we want to see people come to faith in Jesus, we need to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit time after time, and then move out of our comfort zone to do something. I thought that was really good, and it was an excellent talk, I thought, last week. Not that I was here, but just to prove I did listen. So I'm going to look at some of the things that actually hinder us from moving fully in the Holy Spirit and in his power. But first, I want to have a look at who Holy Spirit is and how he works. And when I say he, the Holy Spirit, I don't actually mean that he is purely male. But for the purposes of this talk, and so that I don't get hung of a heretic, I'm going to use the pronoun he. But when, um, when the Bible was written, in the Aramaic language, which we believe that Jesus spoke, the word that they use for the Holy Spirit is ruach, which is the same in Hebrew, and it's actually a feminine word. And in the Greek, the word is pneuma, as in breath, spirit, which is neither male nor female. It's a neuter word. When I first became a Christian, it was really normal to hear people describe the Holy Spirit as an it it was just a thing I, you'd hear in church, it. And it's really 
um, that makes him less of a person, and it makes it really hard to know that we can have a personal relationship with him. He sounds more like uh, an impersonal force, some power that just kind of comes and goes and has no real uh, relational effect on us or with us. I was having a conversation with someone the other day about the Holy Spirit, and they said, isn't that the thing that... Dot, 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 dot. Now, that's the first time I'd heard Holy Spirit referred to as a thing, I have to say. And the person was a Christian. So how does the Bible reveal Holy Spirit? Now, he's described in many different ways throughout the Bible, but the imagery that's used to describe him doesn't really help us understand him as a person, understand him personally, as a relational being. How many of us feel we can have a personal relationship with fire, a rushing wind, or a river? So let's look at some of this imagery. So the Holy Spirit's described as wind. The Bible says that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I should imagine that was pretty awesome, but how many of them felt they could sit down and perhaps have a chat or a cup of tea with the mighty rushing wind? He also appeared as tongues of fire on their heads. Flames of fire that were divided appeared to each of them and rested on them. God is also described as a holy fire, a consuming fire. Water. Jesus often used water as an image of the spirit. Uh, An example there, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood in a loud voice, said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And we know that Jesus came as a dove. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove, in bodily form, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased, the voice of the Father. He's described as oil, which is for healing and unity. I always think of it like... um, moving parts, so we're the moving parts, and the oil of the Holy Spirit comes between us and in us and through us, and it helps us move smoothly and not to grate on each other. You know that kind of grating noise when something's a bit stiff or rusty? The oil of the Holy Spirit comes and just covers us and fills us so that we don't do that with each other, and if we do, we've still got the Holy Spirit to help us come to a place of that of unity. So wine, you know, Onlookers thought that the guys were drunk when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And at the NLC this year, um, when Mike Pilavachi was talking, (laughs) before he'd even asked Holy Spirit to come, one might think Holy Spirit was already there, or was there before Mike got up on stage. But he was talking, and um, Holy Spirit came, and there was a real sense of uh, joy. There was a sort of swaying going on, little pockets throughout the room. There was um, some giggling and laughter going on. And, uh, and I just suddenly started to feel really lightheaded and really giggly, and I was swaying, and I was, it only lasted a few minutes, um, but I felt drunk. I actually felt tiddly, but without all the nasty bits that go with having too much alcohol, nerve hangover, you know, dehydration. Um, and it was lovely, and it didn't last for long, but it just reminded me that God comes, the Holy Spirit comes with his presence because he's a relational being. He comes and touches us, and we can experience him as a person. For me, it was like a sense of joy and just um, 
and just giving everything over to him again and just being reminded. Every time he touches me with his presence, I'm reminded that he's a person and he's relational. So he's also described as rain, bringing life and refreshment. And St. Cyril of Jerusalem, who was an early church father, wrote this. But why did Christ call the grace of the Spirit water? Because all things are dependent on water. Plants and animals have their origin in water. Water comes down from heaven as rain. And although it's always the same in itself, it produces many different effects. It adapts itself to the needs of every creature that receives it. In the same way, the Holy Spirit, whose nature is always the same, simple and indivisible, apportions grace to each man as he wills. In each person, scripture says, the Spirit reveals his presence in a particular way for the common good. So we can see from that that Holy Spirit is revealed in lots of different ways, for all for the common good, ours and the good of the world. And we saw this in Andrew's talk last week when he detailed all the different types of evangelism in Acts. Holy Spirit empowers us for what we need at the time. That's why it's important to remember the following scripture and not limit ourselves with regard to our gifts. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. In the book Nine O'Clock in the Morning, um, Dennis Bennett talks about his own baptism in the Holy Spirit and how it changed his life. And he wrote an essay called God's Strength for This Generation. And in it, he writes this. It concerns me that so many Christians nowadays seem not to grasp, or perhaps have not even had a chance to grasp, what happened back there 2,000 years ago. I believe the baptism in the Holy Spirit to be the drivetrain by which the power of the Spirit travels from the engine to the wheels. Evangelism starts the engine, but without the drivetrain, the people of God do not move very far. We soon begin to wonder when Jesus is going to come and take them away from a world they obviously are unequipped to cope with. That's quite terrifying. You know, that's the, you know we, we, can be, we can be filled with Jesus and we can have faith and we can know where we're going, but without the drivetrain to move our wheels, we can stand very, very still. My own experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, it happened um, a week or two after I'd gone up in church to receive Jesus. Um, when I went up to receive Jesus, they prayed for me and I felt absolutely nothing. There was just no sense of anything. I, was, I went, I stood, got prayed for, there was lovely music going on in the background, the atmosphere you know, was apparently perfect for you know, ripe people to become Christians, but I felt nothing. And I, I guess I was disappointed at the time. I don't know what I thought I was going to feel, but I didn't feel anything. Um, and my story actually shows how God works through circumstance when we could be disappointed or a bit sad because a couple of weeks later we were due to go and hear um, so there's I hadn't been to church since then because they all went off in their family camps and a couple of years a couple of weeks later I was uh, invited to hear a guy called Brian Greenaway who was um, a guy who had a massive prison ministry um, he was a former hell's angel who was radically saved was going into prisons and at the last minute he had to cancel because his wife was calling I really feel sorry for the guy who had to stand in. So we all turned up expecting to hear this chap who, as I said, I'd never heard of, but I was invited along. And um, you could feel the disappointment in the room when the guy stood up and said, I'm really sorry, uh, Brian's wife isn't well and he's, he isn't able to come. Sorry, we couldn't let you know. 
even the days before we could text and say, church is on this morning, woohoo. By the way, if I haven't got your mobile number, you're missing out on exciting texts. I'll send them to you to the office. Um, so this poor little man was standing there and he was talking about, I actually don't have a clue what he's talking about, but his call up was people who want more of God. Nobody moved. Nobody went up. The church was quite full. I felt so sorry for this guy that nobody, I thought, inside I'm thinking, this poor chap, you know, he's standing up there. People are like, I don't want to be here because Brian Greenaway is not here and, and, and they're not going up and he's just standing there and he looks so vulnerable and so exposed up there. So I thought, well, I'll go up. I don't know what more of God is. I don't know what more of God means. Sounds all right. I'm going to go. So I went out into the aisle, went up, and I stood. He's standing here, and I'm standing here, and he said, what do you want? And I said, I don't know. More of God. He said, I could have more of God. So he said, assume the receiving position. Now, I was unchurched, really, really unchurched, so that was a bit confusing. But anyway, he took my hands and kind of, you know, like we do hold them up and I'm thinking this is okay I'm a bit worried now but I'm committed you know I'm standing here in front of all these people to back off now would be really bad and he's a nice little guy and I feel sorry for him standing like this eyes wide open and um oh, he just went like this he went he looked so he looked behind me or behind him and I'm standing here and he just went here comes Holy Spirit he didn't touch me, but as he got to pointing his hand towards me, I flew backwards across the floor. It must have been, I'm going to say five feet, but I've got no idea. And I probably would exaggerate, but I flew backwards across the floor and was filled with the most incredible joy. And anyone who's had that amazing baptism of the Holy Spirit or felt his presence in that way, I'd come from a totally unchurched background. Had no, I had no frame of reference for what was going on other than I'd never felt so good in my entire life. I'd never felt so loved. I'd never felt so happy. I'd never felt so accepted. I'd never felt... I, I had felt as drunk, but in a totally different way. I was so impacted that I crawled, managed to get onto my hands and knees, and I crawled along the floor, giggling and laughing and making a... a totally excited mess of myself and I crawled up to my friend who I'd gone with and I sort of crawled onto her lap and I said in a very very drunken voice you've got to get some of this <laughs> she didn't however go up which to my dying day I should I should regret that I didn't pull her up there and force her in but I had no frame of reference for that but I was so impacted by the love of God and the joy and the, the filling and the, and the everything. And that has never, ever left me. And I've never had that experience to that extent. And I've had a lot. I've been to Toronto. I've been all over the place. I used to be called a Holy Spirit chaser. And it was a negative thing until I realized it was actually a positive thing. But I've had that broken off me. So actually, it was an experience chaser, which is slightly different. But um, I went home that night, Nigel was fishing, just as well, because he probably would have divorced me, the state I was in. He's like, I've been to church. Oh, yes, darling. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I've been to church, honestly. So I went, uh, that night, I started, it was a Friday night, I started speaking in tongues for the first time. Again, no frame of reference, didn't know what I was doing, was laying in bed, just felt something bubble up inside me, and I start gabbling, and I'm thinking, this makes me feel good. Because, you know, tongues are for edification. This is making me feel good. I shall carry on. Nigel came home from fishing on the Saturday night. Luckily, by the time he was home, I was back in my sound mind. Now, I know that everyone's experience of Holy Spirit isn't like that. and it, Mine isn't any better or any worse than anyone else's, but it's what I needed. 
I'd come out of a place of the occult, I'd come out of a place of new age stuff, I'd come out of a place of uh, deep rejection, deep pain, deep, deep self-hatred. And, I, and God knew that I needed that from him to be able to walk the rest of my walk. Um, I would have fallen away very, very quickly if, if it had been about head knowledge, if it had been about religion, if it had been about even about the Bible. Because when I read it before I was filled with the Spirit at that time, I, it didn't mean anything to me. So God knew that's what I needed. Now, he, that joy that he poured into me then became my strength. It was the strength that helped me to walk through the deep, painful healing experiences that he took me through in the next few years. Without that filling of the Spirit, I know that I wouldn't have made it through. Now, that was my first experience of Holy Spirit. So what was Holy Spirit's relationship with Jesus like? And we can see from um, the Bible that Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. He was baptized in the Spirit. He was led and empowered by the Spirit. He was given great joy by the Spirit. He, was, he cast out demons by the Spirit. He heard his father speak in the Spirit. And he offered himself to his father by the power of the Spirit. Now, I do wonder if Jesus was um, kind of overcome by the Spirit in that way. I like to think that he was laughing and joyous and looking like he was drunk and stumbling and falling around. And why not? It happens to us. When I read the Bible, I tend to find it's a little bit two-dimensional. So I read about Jesus. I don't hear about him laughing. I don't hear about him having fun. I read the bits that he's talking about, you know, you need to be better or woe to you. And I just think... It's Holy Spirit who helps me understand Jesus as a person. It's Holy Spirit who makes Jesus alive to me in that, in that full-bodied, four-dimensional way that I don't get from the Bible if I read it just as, as a book without Holy Spirit helping. So an early church father um, and a theologian, Epiphanius, and I probably pronounced his name wrong, but he will forgive me, described the Spirit as the bond of the Trinity in the midst of Father and Son. And I love that. Holy Spirit comes to be in the middle of Jesus' fellowship with his Father. And he's in the middle of ours too. So Jesus comes, the Holy Spirit, sorry, comes to illuminate Jesus. He points us to him. So Holy Spirit, we're going, oh, Holy Spirit, we worship you, we love you. He'll go, how about Jesus? Holy Spirit, you're awesome. Holy Spirit, have a look at Jesus. And often I find if I'm in worship and I'm trying to worship the Holy Spirit, I will automatically and naturally then be, be, be worshipping Jesus. My focus will change because Holy Spirit is always saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. And Jesus came to introduce us to the Father. I love that about the Trinity, all preferring each other, all Holy Spirit, look at Jesus. Jesus, look at Father. Je Father, look at my kids. Look at my, it's just such a beautiful sense of family. So how did Jesus introduce Holy Spirit to his guys, to his friends? He knew he was about to go. And he said to them, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, one who comes alongside, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you in John 14. I think it's interesting that Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Now, I don't know. Maybe they were orphans or maybe they had mums and dads and family. But Jesus knew that once he'd gone, they would feel as if they'd been orphaned. 
that's the same for us. We're not left as spiritual orphans. Holy Spirit is with us and in us forever. Now, Jesus knew God as his father, and he encourages us to pray our father. He sent Holy Spirit to live in us, to take us from being spiritual orphans to being much-loved children of the Heavenly Father. And Jesus says this to God in Matthew 11. You have entrusted me with all that you are and all that you have. No one fully and intimately knows the Son except the Father, and no one fully and intimately knows the Father except the Son. But the Son is able to unveil the Father to anyone he chooses. That's from the Passion Translation, which I'd recommend. So Holy Spirit fills us and enables us to relate to God as Father. And I know I've talked about this before, but personally, I think that having a right understanding of God as Father is key to receiving everything that he wants to give us. God wants to give us good gifts. Every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. But we need faith to receive all he has to offer. The Bible is full of promises that God has for us. He makes his promises to his people. Promises to bless us, to provide for us, to heal us, to save us, and so on and on and on and on. You can buy books just with promises of God from the Bible. They're brilliant. Learn some. Take them in. Eat them. Let them really be life. Ephesians 3, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. How many of us are living in immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine? How many of our prayers are like poverty prayers? Oh God, get me through the day. Oh God, do this. Oh God, help me with that. Poverty prayers, which have a place, and I pray them myself, but I want to be in that place where I can accept everything more than I can possibly ask or imagine, where God's like with his storehouse open above me going, this is more than you could possibly ask or imagine. And we've seen some of that in our lives, but I want to be, and I'm sure you guys have, but I want to be in a place where that's the norm, not the sudden, oh yes, more than I could ask or imagine. Let me jump into that place of faith. I want that to be the norm. And actually, I want that to be the norm for this church. It's grand reminding for us. And I think... They're great examples of that. Andrew's talking about, you know, the big, the, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming more than we could possibly ask or imagine. I want to be in a place where I really, truly believe that, not just in my head. We need to believe, we need to believe that God wants to bless us with good things. Because if we only look to our own understanding, we're probably looking through the lies of the enemy who wants to steal our blessings. He wants to steal our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He can't steal our salvation. We're destined for the most amazing life when we die. But he can steal our peace, our hope, our joy, our security, and our blessings while we're here on earth. Martin Luther wrote, I have difficulty praying the Lord's Prayer, because whenever I say, Our Father, I think of my own Father, who is hard, unyielding, and relentless, I cannot help but think of God that way. That's really sad. Michael Phillips in his book, A God to Call Father, says, the common fallacy is to equate fatherhood of one's earthly father with an accurate representation of God's heavenly fatherhood. Though not intentionally or even consciously, we draw this equal sign in our mistaken equation at a deep subconscious level and we do it very, very early in life. 
I heard it explained like this. When we look at God, we're looking through a pair of binoculars, and on one lens, it's, it's your father, and on one lens, it's your mother, or your, your significant authority figure. Our mindset, or strongholds, as the Bible calls them, have conditioned us to believe that our Heavenly Father is the same, the same as our earthly one. And if we've had less than perfect parents, which I suggest is most of us, or had them taken away at an early age, we can really struggle with the concept of God as our loving parent. While preparing for a teaching series I did for women a few years ago now, we looked at issues like the father's love, the mother heart of God, and self-worth. I had a dream um, in which some people were discussing God in a sort of abstract, uh, bible Bible study, theological sort of way. And as I watched, one of them broke away and went to an onlooker and said words to the effect of, of course, Jesus knew the fullness of his father's love. That's why he was able to go to the cross. Then he looked up at me and he said, you understand that, don't you? When I woke up, I knew that God had spoken to me because I felt I had a new understanding of how Jesus was able to suffer all that he did. He knew the love of his father. I'd perhaps look at the crucifixion and say, Surely that's proof that God didn't love Jesus. Why would a loving father allow that to happen to his son? How could he allow him to go through such an awful experience? But I know that Jesus chose to do it because he was secure in his father's love. He knew the depths of his father's love for us, and Jesus loved his father so much that he was willing to suffer, knowing he was fulfilling God's plans for his creation. John 10, 15 says, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. It's all in love. The only thing that enabled that to happen was love. The love of the Father, the love of the Son for the Father, the love of the Son and the Father for us and for the world. It wasn't about religion. It wasn't about retribution. It wasn't about wrath. It was about love. It was love. God pouring out his love through his son, into the world, which Jesus was able to go to the cross. We know it wasn't easy for him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's like, if there's any other way, if you can take this cup from me, I don't want to have to go through this. But it was love that got him there. It was love that held him there. And it was love that raised him up. If we struggle with parental issues, the way to healing is through forgiveness. I mean, no-brainer, and we hear it again and again. It's the only way that we can release and, and bless and come into that place. We have to release our parents, give them to God, and move into a place of safety and security, of being in our heavenly Father's arms, under his wings, as it says in the Bible. What a beautiful picture. And often our childhood experiences keep us from fully understanding and accepting God's love for us. And Jesus comes and heals us. He heals our emotions. He fills us with his truth. And we're more able to accept Father's love and to love others in return, more importantly. No, not more importantly. A fruit of Father's love is to love others in return. And we've talked about this, but to facilitate this kind of healing for any of you who feel, or anyone listening, who feel that um, there are issues in their lives, we're having an open Emmanuel morning, which I mentioned before. Six sessions, some of them are taken, but six sessions we're offering where you will be um, one-to-one in a private space with um, actually four-to-one. There'll be Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, and a coach, and you, um, in, a, in a safe space 
a totally confidential space where you can just allow Jesus to do whatever he wants to do in that hour to hour and a half, depending on how long that takes. I've asked uh, Jude and Chris if they'll come up and just give a very short, we've got 10 minutes, guys, so really short, uh, how wonderful Emmanuel is and how it's still good for guys, even though you see a lot of girls up here talking about it. So come, can you come? Oh, no, gentlemen. Let's break all the molds and rules. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Yeah, no pressure, Chris. No pressure. <laughs> so um, my experience with, with Emmanuel has been, uh, I think I've done about a dozen sessions at various points because we're also doing it together as, a, as small groups, right, from, from time to time. And what I found was really surprising was just the different places that um, Jesus decided to take him. I remember at one point, uh, so going back to going back to something about my dad and my dad's passing, which for me is still very, I think it was almost 10 years ago now, it's still a very um, emotional time. And I remember just saying, I can't believe you're going to go there now. <laughs> I said that out loud. Um, but he is very loving in things, and he basically just gives you everything you need in that moment to go through what he's about to show you. And he was able to you know, lift some of the guilt that I was feeling around uh, my dad's passing and just left me a lot more free about that. And that's just one of the things. There's been different approaches for different types of uh, experiences. I had one very brief traumatic thing that had nothing to do with me personally that I'd seen. And so he just flipped everything and gave me the good feeling first <laughs> and did it in different order so that I was... I was sort of butter, he was buttering me up for the um, for the deep dive that followed. Uh, so he just he knows exactly what you need and he gives it to you um, in a very loving way. And that does that's actually just been sound like the epitome of the Emmanuel session. God butters us up before the deep dives to follow. I love it. We <laughs> always start with His presence. We always start with being deep in His presence, so yes. that we can go to those hard places. Thanks, yeah. Chris. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay, Jude. I agree with everything Chris just said. <laughs> but I guess what I w wanted to talk about was um, the fact that I generally find this kind of thing quite uncomfortable um, and I usually don't want to do it beforehand. <laughs> Things that are just about me and what you said earlier about a safe space with just you and all those, all that, that just freaked me out. I'm the one screaming <laughs> in the situation <laughs> from that. Oh, that was supposed to be <laughs> encouragement. <laughs> Sorry. But um, the experience of of kind of uh, persevering, I guess, with that scenario. Every single time I've had an Emmanuel session, I've left just feeling like Jesus knows exactly who I am and has done all my life um, and understands the different experiences I've been through and he just kind of deeply knows me and that's been incredibly healing in itself, I think. Um, You've had a series, haven't you? Yeah, so probably in the last four or five months, I've had kind of a six, I think. Um, and that really was in response to this sort of nudge in my gut uh, repeatedly from, from God. I think that there was stuff that he could help me with, I think. <laughs> and so I didn't really go in with any agenda of what I wanted fixing or anything. I, um, I just felt like he led me to things that just needed loving <laughs> and 
And as far as what you said, like really actually deeply painful things, I still remember them, but I don't feel the pain of them anymore. And, and that just means that in general life, I just feel better and, and happier. And, and that sort of shows itself in lots of little ways. That is very satisfying. Oh, I like that. <laughs> very satisfying. Thanks, guys. So that all sounded good, didn't it? Yes, nod. Yes, Ellie, everybody nod. Great. Um, so I began my journey of understanding God as my Heavenly Father um, many years ago. 1994, I heard this phrase, waves of liquid love. And I thought, I like the sound of that. I, I just, there was something that called to me. Like Jude said, there was a nudge in here. Well, le- waves, I can't say it, but it still called to me. Waves of liquid love. You can practice that afterwards. Just just drew me. I want that. I want that feeling. I'd heard somebody's testimony about um, that feeling, and I wanted it. I think so much of our walk is, is seeing someone who, who has or received something that we want and then going after that. That's why our testimony is so important, hearing stories. Some of you may have been sitting there going, oh, I've got some you know, me- memories about when my parent passed or, you know, I've got some issues. And, and if, if, there's a jo- if there's something in you going, oh, I still feel pain, listen to what, what, what people are saying. So waves of liquid love. And I yearned and hungered for that experience. I'd never felt God in that way, and it's something I longed to feel. And I worked through loads of rubbish to get there. It was a progression th- from insecurity, abandonment, rejection, fear of man, self-hatred and unforgiveness to a deep, 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 deep knowledge and understanding, a foundation of Father's love. It took me a long time and I'm not fully there, but I know that now I've had many, many experiences of his love. It started back with my desire to feel love, not just know about it in my head. So I'm going to try and do this quickly, but I think it's quite important. Here's what I wrote in my journal after an experience I had at a meeting about 18 years ago. I've put here in capitals, read it slowly, but I'm going to read it really fast because I don't want to keep you all from your lunches. So a memory then surfaced of me as a little girl being shaken and told to shut up. I was cowering in fear. I forgave the person and released the memory, pain and fear. Then Jesus came to introduce me to my heavenly father. We went up a staircase and came to a huge wooden door. Jesus went through, but I couldn't follow. And in brackets, I put, they were barriers and defense mechanisms put up between me and God. The people prayed some more, and slowly the door opened a bit. The little girl with curly hair, in brackets, me, peeked around the door. I was quite excited. I went into the room. It was warm and dark. I knew Jesus was in there, but I also had a sense of an enormous something in the room. It was so awesome and powerful that it could have been terrifying, but it wasn't. Uh, The main feeling that pulsed out from it was kindness and heat, and the word benign came to me. I knew I was in the presence of my Heavenly Father, and I felt warm, loved, and accepted, although I couldn't see him. I knew that I'd met him before. I knew the feelings, but I couldn't place the feelings that I was reminded of. And the next day I remembered... I'd had the same feeling when I used to read about Aslan in the Lion, Witch and Wardrobe stories. And he gave me that same feeling of being, of a being who is both loving and frightening, but totally loving, kind and safe. God had been showing himself to me all those years ago before I even knew him. When I left, I had a real sense that my dad was there to come back and see me any time. And he left the door open. 
my daddy is kind, full of love, and available to me. That was written in my, in my diary. And the word benign means having a kindly disposition, gracious, like a benign king, having power, but also being loving, showing or expressing gentleness or kindness. And it's, we know it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And that's just part of the work that God did. And the fruitfulness has lasted. It wasn't like a one-off thing. He did something really, really deep down. All I had to do was forgive the person who had um, shaken me and just release, and I was then able to enter into that loving presence, that loving embrace. And that love is available to all of us. We need to be open. We need to be expectant. We need to be willing to go through the healing process. It's not easy, guys. Jude has had... Yeah, she won't mind me saying it's not me who's done her sessions. I should imagine she's had some weeping times. Yeah, yeah, she's nodding. And, um, and some painful times. But we need to be able to go through that pain. We need to be brave. We need to be courageous. We need to want whatever it is, the other side of that for us, we need to want that enough to go through it. So I just want to say that God is good. He really, really is good. And if there are things going on in our lives at the moment that suggest that he isn't good, then one thing that would help with that is just knowing more and being more filled with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is Christ. You know, he is, he is Jesus. He is God. They're all God. The Holy Spirit comes and, uh, and just brings us into that real uh, place of understanding. Jesus more as a person and God more as a loving father. So, shall we pray on?